Thank you to our church choir and Aminia who leads them and musicians who back them up. And uh, thank you to the two Kataru young ladies who led us out in the music in the song service this morning. It was beautiful, wasn't it? I, I want to do just a, a couple of very short things, uh, something we, we, we were amiss on. And, and if you look in your bulletins, um, you will notice that we have an outreach coming up. And that outreach is in how many Sabbaths time? Folks, two. Now, I, I wonder, as uh, they're moving the piano out of the way, who, who is planning? Who is planning to come to the outreach in two Sabbaths afternoon, four o'clock? Hand up high. Thank you, brother. Up high. That's not enough. I'll tell you that right now. It's not enough. This is the church of God. I have, I, I've happily stepped out on a limb here. We are doing an outreach for seven Sabbath afternoons in a row to the people of our community, to your friends and to your relatives and to those who used to be in this church that you know who are no longer here. It can only work, it can only be successful if you come. I'm talking to Warunga church members now, not so much our visitors and how glad we are to see our visitors here this morning. But Warunga church members, I can tell you as God is my witness and beholds this scene, that time is short and you will not have much more opportunity, I don't believe, to bring those you love to Christ. We are preparing a program, an Adventist program that you will be proud to bring your friends to, that you will be proud to bring your relatives to, that you'll be proud to ring up and say to these members that no longer attend with us, hey, come back to church, Sabbath afternoon, four o'clock. We've got a special program and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. We are relying, I am relying, more importantly, God is relying on you to come. And not only for you to come, but you to bring somebody with you. So I'm going to leave the Lord to work on your heart there. And I won't say any more on that. I also, Mary Ann Kearns, you'll see a second reading, has kindly agreed to be our our, um, head deaconess. And I wonder, would someone like to move that we accept that for the second reading? Thank you. Seconded. All in favour? Well, welcome Mary Ann, wherever you are, to, to uh, leading out in the deaconess's job in our church this year. Now, I've uh, left my sermon up here. Now, that would be a mistake because I need that. I've uh, chosen a topic that today, as I prepared it, I enjoyed it. Heaven came down. And I always, well, I've got into a habit with my sermons of putting right up the top of the sermon in my notes, theme. And I say, I put that there right up the top of my notes where I can see because it's important when you preach that you ensure that the theme, what you're trying to share, gets across. And I don't normally do this, but I thought I would share with you this morning the theme Here it is written in big black bold letters and it's underlined. The theme is this, heaven will come down to earth to bless those who follow Jesus. 
Did you hear that? I'll say it again. The theme is this. Heaven will come down to earth to bless those who follow Jesus. You know, when you're a pastor and you move from church to church, one of the joys of that, I guess, is that you get to meet a lot of people and make good friends. And I have made, praise God, some good friends at Warunga. In fact, I would count all of you as friends and I, I say that sincerely. But there's one particular guy, he doesn't know this, Franklin, sitting down there. It's funny, you know, Franklin and I are separated by, what, Franklin, 50 years. But you feel a kinship with some people and you know what I'm talking about, that's just how it is. And I feel a kinship with Franklin, whether you like it or not, brother. There's a kinship there. When I go to visit him, it's like I'm going to visit a a, a genuine friend. Whether I was a pastor or not, Franklin would be a friend of mine. And he gave me a gift. I don't know whether you remember this, Franklin, a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. Do you remember that? This book that Franklin gave me is one of the classics in Protestant Christianity. It's 150 years old. I don't know whether you realise, Franklin, that book you gave me was published in 1856 and I treasure this book. It, it stays up in the top shelf of my wardrobe in the dark because it's so old I don't want the sun to get on it and, 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 and depreciate the book. It was written by a man by the name of Fox. He was born in 1517. He became a pastor and he wrote this book, huge book on the history of the martyrs from the time almost of Stephen down to his time, which was the early 1500s. And he, he talks in this book about the suffering of God's people. And it is, it is quite a read. And I was reading it the other day and I came across a story of a man by the name of Adam Wallace. Now, he was a simple poor man who lived in Scotland and he died. We're not sure when he was born, but he died somewhere between 1547 and 1549. He lived in a place called St. Andrews. Do you know where St. Andrews is? How many of you watch golf? Well, you should know where St. Andrews is because that's where the British Open, I believe, Craig, was it played there just a few weeks ago? At St. Andrews. Uh, I've been there. I've seen the golf course. It's just a little village. And somehow this, this young man called Adam Wallace got hold of a Bible. And as he's reading through the Bible, he came to the deep, deep, deep convert, conviction that, that no longer was, 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 as he went and he shared the, the ordinance service at church, Christ was not in the bread as he was being taught. And, and he began to share this. He was accused by his pastor, I guess his priest, John Lander. And uh, they argued back and forth and Wallace kept pointing Lander to the Bible. And the priest, the pastor, had no answer for him. And Wallace said, and it's documented in the book, he said, if it can be found in the Bible that I am wrong, then I am ready to be judged by it. Well, the pastor didn't like what he was saying, and so he had him arrested. And I thought about that for a moment. What if I could arrest you? If you were to say or do something I didn't like, would you like that? Would you like that? No, I wouldn't. I'd, I'd be looking about transferring church membership. But, but, but 
he was arrested and, and this man Lander preached a sermon, would you believe, in court against his own church member. And Wallace kept quoting the Bible. Finally, he was accounted as guilty and he was condemned to death. And Wallace said, and these are the words he said, they're recorded in Fox's Book of Martyrs. He said, if you condemn me for holding by God's word, he says, my own innocent blood shall be required at your hands when you shall be brought before the judgment seat of Christ who is mighty to defend my innocent cause and you will not be able to resist God's wrath or vengeance. He had a little bit of a go in him, this guy. Well, as they listened to him, both his pastor and the court, they decided to sentence him to death. And he was to be taken up to Castle Hill, which is in Edinburgh, where the castle is in Edinburgh, and there he was to be burned at the stake. He was put in prison in Edinburgh. He spent his time studying the word. The guards got so sick of listening to him as he read the word aloud that they confiscated his Bible. So you know what he did? He began to sing psalms. He had, he had put them in his memory and he began to sing psalms. The guards were enraged. They couldn't do anything about it. Eventually he was led onto Castle Hill and some of you have probably been there in Edinburgh to face his day of execution. And as he walked down those narrow streets of Edinburgh, there were great crowds on both sides and they were crying out to him, God have mercy upon you and upon your soul, Adam Wallace. And Adam Wallace looked back to the townspeople and he said, and may God have mercy on your souls too. There was no fear in this man. Wallace was tied to the stake and he was told not to talk, but he talked to the crowd anyway. These are men and women of courage and and I pray to God at the end of time that you and I would be such people. And he said to the crowd as they were there to watch him be burned alive for Jesus, he said, let it not offend you that I suffer death this day for truth's sake, for the disciple is no greater than his master. Well, this enraged the chief guard again and he told Wallace to be quiet. And Wallace said to the crowd, he he really did have some go in him, this guy. He said to the crowd, see the guard won't let me talk and the soldiers put a rope around his neck and choked off his voice. And the fire was lit And Fox says, and these are the words he says on page 167 of Fox's Book of Martyrs, Fox says, Adam Wallace submitted to his fate. 761 pages long, Fox's Book of Martyrs. 761 pages full of stories of people like you and I who would rather give up their lives than give up Jesus. And today I want to spend some time looking at the story of the first of these martyrs. And I hope this story, this study, blesses you and brings you closer to Jesus as it did me. Let's pray. Jesus, we're about to open your word as a holy book given to us to draw us closer to you. Father, we come to you this morning, some of us laden down by sin, and with burdens and guilt. Others of us come, Lord, cleansed, righteous before your throne, 
filled with your Holy Spirit. However we come to this church this morning, Lord, bless us. May we not, I pray God, in the name of Jesus, leave this place without having been drawn closer to you, without having fixed our eyes on you, Jesus, and with a burning fire inside our hearts, Lord, to serve you more, to serve you better and to know you deeper. This is our prayer, Jesus, as we begin this study in your name. Amen. Okay, well, we're not going to go too long today, I promise you this, but it's important and a beautiful study. The title, Heaven Came Down, and I want you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Beautiful story. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. The Bible says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews, the Grecian Christians, the Christians from Greece among them, complained against the Jews, the Hebraic Jews, the Jews from the Hebrews or from Israel, because the widows, the Grecian widows, were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Look, the church was exploding. Jesus had gone back to heaven. The Holy Spirit had descended upon the early Christian church. Flames of fire were put on their head and were leaping out of their hearts and it was exploding. People had sold their homes. They'd all moved in together. They were looking after each other and they were sharing Jesus. The whole, the, the whole direction, the whole reason the church existed was to share the love of Jesus. The same reason the church exists today. And the Jews from Greece said, hey, you're not looking after our widows like you're looking after the, the, the Jews from Israel. Well, how did the disciples, the 12 disciples, the leaders of the church responded? Verse 2 says, So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. The disciples, the leaders of the church said, Look, it's not our job really to look after the widows, but we're recognising that there's a problem here. So verse 3, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Good idea. What do they do? Verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, and that's who we're going to be talking about today, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Here's your first head deacon in the church. Also they chose Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism, to Christianity. And verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. You have your first ordination service of deacons. So the word of the God spread, the numbers of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests of priests, would you believe it, who crucified Christ, the Bible says, became obedient to the faith. Stephen responded to the call. He responded to the call from God to serve the church. And I praise God here at Warunga SDA that this church is full of people who responded to the call from God to serve him in this church. And I look out amongst you and I can see them. I can see Keith there who leads out in television ministry. Praise God, Keith. I can see Brendan up on the sound desk trying to hide, who has responded to the call of the Lord. I see Hans Burkle 
our new head deacon who has responded to the call of God. I go down into the Sabbath school rooms downstairs and I see teachers and leaders right through there. In fact, right round this church, there are people who have responded to the call of God. Now, I want you to do something. There's your hands. Let's see them. Let's see your hands. Lift them. Lift them. We're not going Pentecostal, don't worry. Lift your hands. Now, look at them. If you have a set of hands... God has called you to serve. And if you don't know whether you're serving God or not, ask yourself the question, what have I done to advance the cause of Christ in the last week? Oh, it's a sobering question. And if you can answer affirmative to this, yes, Lord, I've done this, then you are serving God. If you can't answer affirmative, then brothers and sisters, look at your life. Because there's a great privilege to serve God. In fact, if you're not serving God, you're missing out on one of the greatest privileges that God offers human beings. And, and, and in this story, Stephen responded, praise God, to the call. Now look what happens, verse 8. It'll happen to you too. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. He was exceptional. Now I want to tell you, Hans, that if you started healing people in this church through the power of God, raising people from the dead, healing them of AIDS or other maladies, do you think people would take notice? Would they? You better believe it. I certainly would. I'd want to know what was going on, wouldn't you? I want to tell you that Philip made an impact, not just on the early Christian church. It's not Philip, sorry, Stephen made an impact not just on the early Christian church, Stephen made an impact on the city. Because look what happens. Verse 9 and 10. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom. All the spirit by whom he spoke. Stephen spoke with authority. And that authority came from on high, from God himself. And as these wicked men began to argue with him, they could not stand up against him. Look, brothers and sisters, whenever you are making a stand for Jesus, whenever his will is being worked in your life, there will be opposition. That opposition might come from work. Oh, how many times do I see the will of God working in people's lives? They're becoming Sabbath keepers. They're following Jesus and work gets in the way. The opposition can come from work. The opposition can come from family. The opposition can come from friends. It can't come from finances. It can come from anywhere. God is not, I beg your pardon, Satan is not going to let you work for God. He's not going to let God's will in your heart happen without opposing it and Satan opposes Satan opposes also a church that is doing the will of God a church that is sharing Jesus a church that is lifting up his cause a church that has as its flag the truth Satan will oppose that church every way he can and you ought to know it because you've seen it in your own history Satan will oppose a church that is endeavouring to advance the truth. 
And that is a fact. And here you've got Stephen endeavouring to advance Christ and all that is happening is he's being opposed. You know, as a pastor, I know what it's like to be opposed. It's great when people are cheering for you. But sometimes it's sobering when the only person cheering for you is yourself and hopefully God. But you know, we all have dreams to do things for God, don't we? Don't we? And if you've got a dream to do something for God, if you want to do something big for God, then Satan is going to oppose it. And too often these dreams are shattered and nothing happens Because those who are opposing us seem to be stronger than than the will to do God's will in our lives. I think sometimes it's time we stop looking at how big the giants are before us in our own lives and in the church and how to look at how big our God is. Opposition like Stephen was facing is good because it proves that God is at work. If there's no opposition, look, if God is at work, be sure the devil will oppose. It's in his nature. If there's no opposition, then the chances are that God is not at work. He's not working in your life or he's not working in the church you belong to. So when you see and experience opposition, praise God. Amen. The story doesn't end there. And I should say this too. This was not an argument between members who had some different ideas. This is not not a difference between brothers and sisters of Christ at the local board. Uh, This is not an argument on ideas or, or, or even theology. What you've got here is an argument between one man who is possessed by the Holy Spirit doing the work of Christ, okay? And on the other hand, you've got a group of men who are driven by darkness, driven by Satan, Here you've got a confrontation in this story of those of light and those of darkness. And that confrontation has been there from the beginning. That confrontation is there now and that confrontation will continue until Jesus comes and crushes the servant's head. So what do these men of darkness do? Verse 11 of chapter 6. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law and they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. These wicked men stirred the people up. And how easy it is for a crowd bereft of the influence of the Holy Spirit to be stirred up. And you've just got to remember Jesus' crucifixion with that crowd of people who had seen Jesus heal, who had seen Jesus resurrect from the dead, who had heard and experienced Jesus' gentleness and his kindness, those crowd of people with demons in their midst were crying out, crucify Jesus, crucify him. You know, I was, I was listening to the radio this week, 2UE, I switched between 2GB and 2UE, depends who it is. 2UE, it was after four o'clock, you get an idea of who was on. And a lady, a courageous Christian woman, rung up And as she rung up, I listened with great interest as she very clearly and very succinctly and and, and really very openly, and and I I thought she she was uh, very balanced, gave a Christian perspective on the dangers of Harry Potter. I am horrified 
at what our world is doing with Harry Potter and how, how our children, God forbid, how our children are being influenced by this wicked, satanic, occultic books. I'm horrified and you should be too. And this woman gave a, a, a wonderful testimony of how we should be seeking God and not things of darkness. You know that for the next over hour and a half, I went and did my visit and came back out. There was a tirade of abuse from crowds of people jamming the switchboards, endeavouring to do nothing more than bring this woman and the message of light that she had down. It is not hard to stir a wicked crowd up. And these guys back then in the time of Stephen were able to do that and he was arrested and he was brought before the council. Verse 13 and verse 14, interesting here. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against the church and against the law. And look what they say. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. They were twisting the truth. In John chapter 2, Jesus had said, this temple, talking about his body, will be destroyed in three days. He said, I will raise it up. Nothing to do with the temple, with the church in Jerusalem. They were twisting the truth or they didn't know the word or they didn't understand Jesus. Customs and traditions. I'm so glad I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. So glad. Because we are a part of a movement that is based in what? The Bible. We are not, and nor is Warunga, a church of custom and tradition. And I want to challenge you this morning, brothers and sisters, when you and when the church is confronted with change and with decisions, don't make your decision based on custom and tradition. We are Protestant of Protestant. We are a people of the Bible and the Bible only. And when we make decisions, we make them on the basis of whether it will advance Christ, whether it will advance his cause or otherwise. And if it will not advance Christ, and if it will not advance his cause, then we do not do it. The Church of Rome is based on custom and tradition. What went wrong with the Church of Israel was they got into custom and tradition and they forgot the truth. And these men are accusing Stephen and endeavouring to have him killed on the basis of custom and tradition. Now, not all customs and not all traditions are bad. But when custom and tradition is used to hamper the cause of Christ, there's a real problem. The story goes on, verse 15, and I love this. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. How many of us look like Stephen when we're under pressure? The face of an angel. This guy had Jesus inside him. As he was oppressed and as he was persecuted, he had Jesus' presence deep within him. And when they looked at him, all they could see was a man full of the peace of God. We're coming to the end of time, brothers and sisters. 
There will be troubles and there will be trials and there will be oppression and there will be persecution. And I pray to God that as you are oppressed and you are persecuted and you go through your trials, that you too are in the presence of Jesus Christ. And when your oppressors look at you, I pray too that they will see the the peace of Jesus as was with Stephen shining in your face. And he preached a sermon and he was answering the accusations of this three-day thing, destroy the temple, build it up. And as he preached a sermon, he was, I'm not very good at this, but he was looking into the eyes of the people. So I'm going to try and look into your eyes and see whether you're listening. Are you listening? Because guess what? Stephen's audience was not listening. The walls had gone up. Have you ever experienced this when you're talking to someone? Their eyes had glazed over. Are you hearing me? And their ears were blocked, possibly going to sleep. I don't know. But Stephen was not a man to muck around. He was a man of courage. And I love what he does here. And I don't dare do it. And I certainly don't bring this message to you this morning. But I do bring what Stephen had to say in verse 51 of chapter 7. Because what happens is he stops his sermon. Read the chapter. He stops mid-sentence. Some of you might wish I do that sometimes. That was meant to be a little lightener here, but okay. He stops mid-sentence. He stops his sermon. He sees the glazed eyes. He sees the people going to sleep. And he says, I'm going no further. I'm not preaching to these people anymore. I've never seen a, a pastor do this before. And then he launches, I want to tell you, they woke up because he said, and I'm telling you, honestly, I'm not bringing this message to you. I'm sharing the story for a reason in a moment because heaven comes down and that's the whole point of the sermon. But he says, you stiff-necked people. He says, with your uncircumcised heart. Oh, they, they all wake up now. The walls come down and their eyes open. He says, you're just like your father's. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? Whoa, he's getting into them. They even killed those who predicted the coming of Jesus. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels but have not obeyed. Let me tell you, something's going on here now. He's not trying to win them anymore. He's bringing them into judgment. It was a serious thing to, to bring people into judgment. What was, well, well, let me just say this. I know we're running out of time, but I want to say this. I've I got, I got 3ABN and I've got hope. And they've got a whole lot of other stations on. You ought to get it because you get six or seven religious stations. You can watch them on Friday night and Sabbath afternoon. Very, very, um, uh, um, um, it's a great blessing sometimes. But I want to tell you that most of the preachers today are preaching smooth, gentle words. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that? They don't want to rock the boat. You want to pray that here at Wurrungaree SDA, you want to pray that in the Adventist church we have preachers like Stephen. Amen. He's not so interested in getting pats on the back and being lifted up to be the general conference president or the conference or the division president. Stephen wants to represent Jesus. 
and he preaches the truth. And sometimes, you know, for all my weaknesses, and I have plenty of them, I will guarantee you this while I'm the preacher here. I will always preach you the truth. And I will not try to, to preach smooth things, easy things. And sometimes the truth hurts. But if you've got a preacher who truly follows God, you do it because you love the people. And as I said, for all my weaknesses, and there are plenty of them, I can say as God is my witness, I do love you guys and I want to see you in the kingdom. And that's why sometimes I preach what I would think are hard things. Today, praise God, I don't necessarily think this is one of them. But what was the response of these guys? 7 verse 54. The Bible says when they heard this, they were furious. I think the New King James Version says they were convicted and they gnashed their teeth at Stephen. They were deeply convicted, all right, but they were conviction that never led to Christ. It led to uncontrolled anger and fury. Bible says in verse 55 and 56, and here's the climax of the whole day, the Bible says, but Stephen, look at it. Oh, God, may I be a person like this. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Look, he said, he's not even hearing them. They're abusing him. They're gnashing their teeth. They're frothing at the mouth. They're looking to kill him. And he says, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Heaven, here is Stephen at the most trying hour of his life, under persecution and oppression and great stress and heaven is opened up and comes down to Stephen. What a powerful experience. You face the end of time. I'll say it again. You will face oppression. You will face persecution. You will face trial. Some of it, it will be at work. Stand up tall and look into heaven and look at Jesus. It will open up and come down. You may face trial and persecution and oppression with your family as you try to follow God. Look up into heaven. See Jesus. He will come down. Heaven comes down to those who are faithful. And heaven came down that day. It is, it, it is right through the Bible. Jesus, come and walk with Adam and Eve in the garden in the twilight. Heaven came down. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace. God turns up, heaven comes down, Elijah on Mount Carmel flees for his life, he's in a cave and heaven comes down in a still small voice. Jesus on earth for 33 and a half years, let me tell you, heaven came down and when Jesus comes the second time, comes again the second time, heaven again will come down. When you're walking with Jesus, heaven will always come down. Heaven down here on earth is nothing but the presence of Jesus in your life. And the presence of Jesus was with Stephen in this trying hour. And it should bring and will bring great encouragement to us as we face the future to know that if we look at Jesus, don't fight those who oppose you. Don't, don't politicise against them. Don't hit them. Just look at Jesus. And if you look at Jesus, heaven will come down. Let Jesus fight your battles. Let Jesus stand for you. Heaven, oh praise God, heaven will come down. And it has in my life, it did in Stephen. And you're faithful and loyal to Jesus, it will in yours. Well, this story comes to an end. 
in verse 57 because the Bible says, These wicked men, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him and they dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul and while they were stoning him, the Bible says, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and look at what he did and cried out, Lord, What an example. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen was looking at Jesus under great oppression. And he was able to look at his oppressors as they threw those stones on his head. He was a young man. He had his whole life in front of him. And he was able to say, Lord, forgive them, your enemies. Can you say that today? Those who are oppressing you, can you say that about, Lord, forgive them. For they know not what they do, but I will follow you and I will be loyal no matter what. It's the end of time. Jesus calls for loyalty. He calls for us to look at him. And if we do that, Heaven will come down and no matter what happens to you, you will be okay because heaven will be down. Stephen died in the presence of Jesus. It was glorious. He died in the presence of Jesus. Oh, I love this story. And it ends and I conclude here in verse 1. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. Now, you could say what a disaster this story is. The death of a saint. The death of the head deacon of the church. A deep blow to the people of God who are trying to set up a worldwide church. Did you know Ellen White says that standing there, you read it in Acts of the Apostles, standing there was a young man named Saul. And she says, as Saul watched the presence of Jesus in Stephen's life, as Saul himself with his own eyes saw heaven come down, Ellen White says it, you read it in Acts of the Apostles, she says, Saul began. Well, Christ began in Saul. (coughs) Excuse me. Christ began in Saul his conversion experience. You know, in Stephen's death, Saul was seeing a snapshot of his own future and his own death. And Ellen White, read the chapter in Acts of the Apostles, said Saul could not get out the witness of this young man. He could not get it out of his head. And it was because of Stephen and his relationship with Jesus. It was because heaven came down as he was stoned that Saul began to say in his heart, There's something different happening here. And the Holy Spirit begins to work. (coughs) Holy Spirit, excuse me, begins to work on him. And on the road to Damascus, he falls onto the ground and he has a conversion experience. And as a result of Stephen's witness, 
Saul became Paul, became the most powerful missionary in the history of the church outside of Jesus Christ. We here today sit in this church as a result of Paul's ministry to the Gentiles, a ministry that would never have happened if Stephen had not been dwelling in the presence of God, if Stephen under oppression and persecution had not allowed heaven to come down and bless him as he died and bless Saul. As he watched on, Revelation thirteen fifteen says that before the end of time, we face a terrible time of trouble where some of us will die. As I close this service, I think there's a good chance the way the world is going that I'm looking at some people who will follow in the steps of Stephen, who will follow in the steps of Paul, will follow in the steps of Adam Wallace. Will, I believe in this church, there are some of you who will, possibly will, give your lives for Jesus Christ. As we close this service, make a commitment to Christ today that you will let him into your heart. Make a commitment to Christ today. That you will let him direct your life. Make a commitment today to Bible study and prayer, to being in his presence. So that when you come under oppression, and you come under pressure, that people see you looking at Jesus with heaven all around you. That's my prayer for each of you this morning as we close this service. Let's pray. Jesus, we're living in a tough world. It's hard for us sometimes to be loyal. We are under oppression as we try to follow you. We are already under persecution. Each of us being attacked by Satan in different ways. Help us, I pray, Lord, like Stephen, to so dwell in your presence that we will be victorious in everything Satan throws at us and in that victory, Lord, that we will so share your love with this light, dark world that others, as Saul did with Stephen, will see you in our lives and decide to follow you. Bless us, God. Bless us with this upcoming mission. Please bless this church, I pray, God. In your name, amen. We're going to sing for our last song. A beautiful hymn to Jesus. And I want to invite you to stand as we sing. Alleluia. Sing to Jesus. Hymn 167.